All right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day here. Uh, Saber Sims DFS office. I was covering for Andrew here again. He's still uh, feeling a little sick today. So you will have me doing the show today and tomorrow. Uh, hosted yesterday as well. Had a good show. If you uh, enjoyed long-winded rants about late swap uh, and I guess maybe the overall business strategy of the DFS product at DraftKings and Vandal. So uh, go check that one out if you missed it. Um, if you were just watching the the Run Pure show uh, we do with them every week, I was just on with AP breaking down the Saturday NFL slate. Uh, so that is up on the, uh, the the Run Pure YouTube channel. If you missed that, want to go check that out. If you were watching that show and you're now double dipping with me here, uh, let me know in the chat. Always appreciate people who are uh, willing to hang out and listen to me talk DFS for uh, two hours in a row here. So uh, we have a couple questions to get into here today. Uh, as always, if you guys have questions for me, fire away in YouTube chat or the Office Hours channel in Discord. Uh, we'll go ahead. We'll we'll jump into questions here in just a moment. Um, but yeah, fire away. I mean, it doesn't look like too too big of a queue of questions here. So um, we'll go ahead and, and and just get into it. So let's pick up this question from Ryan here. He said, are injuries accounted for in the Sims? Uh, I gave Drew Locke a projection of 0.33. Uh, ran a thousand lineups at 0010 and got 5.1 exposure to lock in the flex. I can't imagine 5% of the time as a 6,000 flex player scoring 0.33 winds up in the optimal. So, wondering if there's some sims that account for an injury to Geno that gets lock some points. Um, so, no, injuries are not accounted for in the sims. Basically, if a player, I mean, I get, okay, they injuries do not occur in the sims, I guess is actually the right way of looking at it. Uh, we've actually talked about adding that, I think, in a sport where, well, injuries are impactful in every sport, but where they're really frequent and highly impactful within a given game like football, uh, we've talked about modeling injuries in that way. And I think there's there's some value there, especially for for showdown. It gets pretty, gets kind of tricky because, you know, the the reliability to predict injuries, period, is, is pretty low, I think. I, I think it's an interesting uh Rabbit hole to go down for sure there. I think the model guys would, would probably enjoy at least having a chance to sink their teeth into those. But at the moment, we don't have live injuries projected in the sim. Uh, what you're probably really running into here. Uh, so what what happens? So Drew Locke is not in the sim, period, right? He is not in 0% of the entire sims we have for this game. Does Drew Locke even get a snap? And you can see, see that based on the fact that he is just zeroed out. All of his percentiles are zero. He has no detailed stats. He is not in the sim whatsoever. I mean, you compare that to a guy like, uh, you know, Laquan Treadwell here, at least, who is a very low projection. He is at least in the sim. He is getting snaps in certain sim outcomes. When you give a projection, even a very small one to Drew Locke, uh, so you said 0.33, for example, and let me remove, I think I have a filter here that's, yeah, I have a filter that's limiting him here. But when you set that projection, right, we have to kind of, basically extrapolate a range of outcomes for Locke here. Because you're saying, I think he's going to play. I think he's involved in the offense or at least in some portion of game simulations. We have to kind of come up with what that range of outcomes looks like. And since he's not already in the sim, he's essentially going to end up borrowing a range of outcomes from a player that is projected similarly and plays a similar, or sorry, not projected, has a similar salary and plays a similar um, position. And there's a lot of noise in that right? It's, it becomes difficult to do that accurately. Uh, this is something we do want to improve on. I think the short version of what I'm trying to say is 
if you are going to give a projection to a player that is not currently in the sim, you are clearly targeting a kind of a somewhat rarer or, um, you know, maybe kind of an outlier or even like a, a non-predictable event, like a, like an injury or something like that. I would use, use the projection to get you started. I would not look at his rate of showing up in your 1000 lineups as a true optimal rate whatsoever. I would basically just, I would basically set the projection and adjust your exposure post build until you're satisfied with the lineups you're getting there. Um, I, I, I think setting a play, setting a projection to a player who's not in the sim running 0010 lineups, 1,000, 1,500, 5,000 times and trying to come up and trying to use that as an optimal rate uh, is, is probably not wise. I think you're, I think you're going to be, I think you're just going to run into some trouble there. I think that number is not going to be very accurate because it's, it's very difficult to even kind of think about like what like is even happening there. Like you're, and let me actually put it a different way. And this is kind of a mathematical way. So you're setting mean projections here, right? Um, as an average. Uh, and, and a mean outcome for Drew Locke, a true mean outcome of, of the, the true entire range of outcomes of this game might actually be something like 0.33, but that doesn't really tell us anything meaningful about his actual range of outcomes right you're going to have this if you could almost imagine it his true range of outcomes is, is almost overwhelmingly the most common outcome is zero points and then he probably has something resembling like a mini normal distribution for the range of sims where geno smith gets hurt right that's like probably what that actual outcome curve looks like and a mean and an extrapolated range of outcomes based on that mean which is what happens behind the scenes here just isn't going to do a good job of picking that up so um yeah, I would, if you're playing that that kind of that curve where he is getting into the game, I would just set a mean, set a projection, adjust with the 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 exposures to get your lineups where you want them to be. Um, so um John says, is the NBA prop product being held off waiting for more Saberson projections due to um honestly, no, it's not really an accuracy thing. We we've had like some just admin stuff that we need to like get set up on our end to get it out. Like we need to, we basically need to figure out the actual plans in our system. Um, and we need to get the, the uh, process of getting the bets out to people that have signed up dialed in. Um, the, the model is mostly set up. So I know people have been really excited about this. We're super excited about this. Uh, we want to get this across the finish line. I know it's taken longer than people have expected. Um, so I, I apologize for the delays there. It's, it's not really a few people have asked this. It's not really a, um, it's not really a matter of the model or like waiting for the model to become dialed in. We're, we're pretty happy with where the model's at. It's all, it's like admin red tape kind of stuff that we just like need to get pushed through on our end to get this out to you guys, um, and get it done. I think part of the problem is that some of that stuff, uh, requires some developer resources on our end. And those guys are also working on other features that super are people super excited about, like um, getting the late swap pool uh, across the finish line and getting some uh, bugs and smaller fixes and things like that that have been uh, thorns in people's sides for a little while across the finish line. So uh, it's coming. I've been answering a lot of DMs about this this week as well. Promise we'll be here soon. Um, so thank you, everybody, for, for the patience. But um... Uncrabby Cabby says, uh, hey, Jordan, why even adjust projections if we are to trust the sanctity of the Sims? Um, just to adjust the sliders, like Andy says. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's like an argument for that. Um, I, 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 again, I, 
the message that ended up coming across in the Behind the Sims episode, and I regret this a little bit, was apparently don't do anything uh, so that you don't adjust the Sims. And, and that's not really what our goal was. You know, part of it is that Behind the Sims is intended to be kind of a, a transparent look into our internal conversations, um, not necessarily like produced, finished content in that way and in this case like i think i i definitely can see how that that impression was given off in that video and that's that's not really the goal right the the idea behind the sanctity of the sims thing is not do nothing it's use use the most like sim aligned approaches to get what you want first right go go, go through a a process that is that takes less disruptive actions to the Sims to get what you want first. So the least disruptive thing you can do in terms of um, kind of being uh, following the sanctity of the Sims, I guess, would be to adjust, make adjustments post-build, right? Because you're not introducing that disruption pre-build. You're not really adjusting inputs. You're just filtering and making changes to a given set of lineups that were not built like in that opinionated way. That's that's the least disruptive, but not everybody is going to be able to get what they want out of that, right? You're going to, you know, there's probably slates where you're not going to be able to get enough exposure to a team or a stack or a player or a lineup construction or something that you don't want. So then what is the next best way to, to get there, right? Well, that would be a good opportunity, I think, to make adjustments to player projections, right? If you are, you know, who's a guy, a lot of times you'll notice it for like high. Okay. So maybe you want to be high on Devin Booker tonight, right? And you can just see, or, or Paul George, right? These are guys that don't project well point per dollar. I would not be surprised if we ran a build here to see that they were relatively low in our exposure. And maybe you want to take a strong stand there, right? Maybe you are playing kind of a late game hammer angle for this game. Well, if you're not getting enough exposure in your initial build, that would be a good opportunity to give these guys, you know, a 10% boost or something like that. Whoops. Oh crap. I'm pressing the wrong buttons here. Um, and make those adjustments there, right? And the reason why I the reason why this is more sim aligned is because you're basically you're telling SaberSim, you know, take the range of outcomes that you have for Paul George in the simulation, but adjust it so his mean is 45 instead of 40, right? Whereas if you set a minimum exposure to Paul George, you are just brute forcing a rule into the builder. You're saying you know, regardless of what the Sims look like, Paul George needs to be in 20% of my lineups. Adjusting the projection works with the Sim. Uh, uh, setting a minimum exposure pre-build basically puts a builder requirement on the lineup optimizer. So that's, that's I think, probably the strongest case for making, process-wise, the strongest case for making an adjustment to a player projection while kind of following that sanctity of the Sims framework would be, what are you on it? What, like what changes are you unable to get post build with your exposures that you want in your lineups? How can you get closer to that by making an adjustment to a player projection? Um, in a more simplified way, I would at least try to get what you want with adjusting player projections before you set play pre-build exposures. So. Um, we'll, since I started on YouTube chat, we'll stay in YouTube chat for a bit. Then we'll hop over to discord. Patrick says any reason why NBA ownership projections are not updated after lock, or did I misunderstand what you said yesterday? No, you, you understood correctly. Um, the main reason why is it's a challenging problem. So it becomes very hard to project ownership post lock for NBA without knowing what lineups are in the contest, because you don't know what salary is available for lineups. 
you don't know what positional spots are available for lineups. Um, one step further beyond that, not everyone, everyone has to set a lineup pre-lock, right? Or, I mean, you can essentially safely assume that 100% of the entries in a contest will have a lineup set for it. So, so it, you can rest on these assumptions like total point guard ownership must add up to 100% and things like that, right? Uh, post-lock, it gets hard because you don't also know how often people are going to react to news. So like you, you can't necessarily bank on a, if a elite value play opens up, you suddenly have to calculate how many lineups in the contest have a positional spot or salary to accommodate that player. How many players in the contest are going to actually swap just gets complicated. It's a, it's a more, it's a more difficult problem to solve. I don't think it's an insurmountable problem. I think it's probably another interesting project for the the models team and the uh the guys that are doing the ownership projections maybe to tackle at some point of projecting ownership post-lock but those are the main challenges um of why uh why that's that's difficult basically is because you're not the the assumptions that projecting ownership pre-lock kind of rest on fall apart when you're projecting ownership post-lock so um that that is why but uh, please give an example of adjusting the Sims to get good balance of high projected lineups with appropriate ownership discount. Um, I mean, so first of all, the, you know, the ownership fade slider is basically intended to kind of do that, right? That's kind of what the ownership fade slider is, is trying to do. And it's, it's doing it in a very nuanced way, right? First of all, the ownership fade slider itself changes based on the sport you're playing, the contest you say you're building lineups for, uh, and the slate size, right? This is a dynamic slider. It also adjusts and, and addresses individual players differently um, based on uh, how they are, how their individual range of outcomes looks, right? So it, it will fade high variance chalk more than it will fade low variance chalk. Right? So the ownership fade slider is actually going to do, basically the ownership fade slider was designed to solve this problem, this balance upside with ownership in a way that is slate adjusted, sport adjusted, and, uh, and like player adjusted. Um, so I think it's a great starting point. I mean, one thing that I have liked to do here, uh, above and beyond that, um, or a way that I've kind of liked to experiment with this here. Um, and this is a pro feature. Um, this is a, a custom lineup metric, but I have been experimenting with builds where I'm actually kind of turning ownership fade off and turning SIM diversity up a little bit. Um, and I'll just run this build just to give you a little bit of an idea. And then instead filtering lineups, based on lineups that have high upside and high ownership post-build. Um, and I think that can can also be kind of a different way of, of doing this here. So um, I've, I have basically different lineup rankings here. So one of the ones that I'd like to use is basically to uh, leverage my ownership, the average player ownership in a lineup against the lineup's raw scoring upside here. Um, so basically something like that. And what you'll see is it will kind of bring your total, it will basically, basically what that, that uh, is doing is it is playing lineups whose 99th percentile is more than you would expect relative to the average ownership of the players in the lineup. That's basically what the rule is set up to do. Um, so I, I've been experimenting with that here a little bit, or at least playing with it. Um, I, I think that the ownership fade slider is probably a little bit safer here uh, in terms of just giving you kind of a good balanced baseline. Um, but that is is what I've been doing a little bit here uh, this year is is playing with some of those custom lineup filters. So, or I'm sorry, um, custom lineup metrics. Um, so, um, 
you know, I mean, even without the the pro plan here, I, I think there's some other. I think there's other like creative ways to think about ownership here. We talked about yesterday the research build. Um, so research build the idea, and there was an interesting discussion about this in uh, in Discord earlier this morning that I think, um, in some ways, is a counterpoint to the idea of a research build. But if you're unsure about how to even kind of study or analyze the slate from an ownership standpoint. I think you can run this build here and look at how often players are showing up in the optimal lineup versus their ownership projection. And that will help at least give you a sense of where ownership may be inefficient on a given slate, right? Um, so basically the idea here is we're, by running builds at 0, 0, 10 settings, you are essentially simulating the slate and you can check how often players are optimal uh, in those slate simulations versus their ownership to get a sense of where ownership might be inefficient, right? That's the idea. Um, so interesting takeaway right off the bat is our most commonly optimal player showing up here is Chris Middleton, right? Kind of stands out as probably a pretty good play. Uh, it's possible ownership projections haven't caught up to some news that is already broken. I'm not entirely sure there, uh, but he actually looks inefficiently under-owned relative to how often he's showing up as optimal. Uh, some of the plays that maybe look like they might be going over-owned here, Jalen Green really stands out as one of them. Uh, pretty good value on a four-game slate here, but looks like he's showing up in a lot more lineups um, that are showing up in a lot less lineups than you would expect relative to his ownership projection. So then how do you actually then use this, right? What you actually do? Well, maybe it gives you a reason to think about being under or over on some of these guys, right? So we go back. Let's run a build now on the baseline settings here. Um so maybe we've got a little bit of a stance. We've got kind of an ownership angle we want to play based on our research build, which is we want to be over on Chris Middleton and we want to be under on Jalen Green. Um, and you can see actually that happens kind of here automatically with Chris Middleton. Obviously our projections like him quite a bit, uh, but maybe we decide to take a stand on Jalen Green here as well. Um, and maybe we say, you know, I think there's a couple ways to do this. Uh, one of the ways that I've been messing with this a lot is right before I jump straight to the maximum exposure, uh, I've kind of liked the idea of adjusting the projection here as well, just to see how fragile it is. So if we adjust his projection by basically 10%, um, let's take him to 31 points, see what that actually does. So you can see um, he essentially disappears from our top 20 lineups just with a projection update of 31, right? Or just basically a projection change to reduce his projection by three points, right? I, that's definitely within the error bars of his projection, in my opinion. And that to me tells me that he's like maybe a, a spectacular fade, actually. If I had adjusted his max exposure, I almost certainly wouldn't have gone to a full fade. Um, but all it takes is us over projecting Jalen Green by 10% for him to go to a total fade at his ownership. So I actually am kind of now talking myself into the idea of like a Jalen Green fade. Um, so um, another thing you can kind of do from there to see the impact of that is, is basically sort by percentile. Um, and basically see, so Jalen Green comes back here now, right? Um, and you can basically see, you know, what are, what's, what are the, the top Jalen Green 99th percentiles lineups look like, right? So you're, you're getting around 311.8 when that lineup hits its top 1% outcome, right? Um, if we go back then and just sort by Sabre score, right? Um, and we go back, you can see, you know, we are, we are getting lineups that, you know, it's going to be different depending on how highly owned the lineups are, but we are getting lineups that I would say do not have to make a massive, 
they get significantly less owned and sacrifice very little by way of 99th percentile right here, just like 10, nine or 10 points um, to, to get a much lower owned approach. So I, I like to use the, the percentiles basically as a way to kind of check my work and see how much am I sacrificing by way of percentile to play this particular angle. Um, another way of actually doing that and maybe actually the better way for researching this would be to basically go and uncheck him here for now and basically see how many like what do you like what do you know Jalen Green lineups look like in terms of their 99th percentile and you can see in this case it's very very easy to fade him and sacrifice very little uh upside at all so I don't like that approach but um okay Brad says uh I've had success this NBA season at low stakes uploading other sites projections how do they projections and the sims work together yeah so anytime you adjust a player projection whether you're uploading a different model or a different sites projections or just tweaking individual players basically what we do is we take the difference of the player projections so let's bump Mike Conley by two points right we take the difference of the player's projection at the mean and basically shift that player's full distribution by that difference so any we adjusted Mike Conley's average projection by two points. Every single sim output now, he will score two more points. So when he scores 40, he's now scoring 42 in the sims. When he scores 10, he's now scoring 12. So basically the, the impact is shifting the entire range of outcomes in the direction, whether it's an increase or a decrease, and by the difference that you shifted them at the mean. So you still get to take advantage of the correlations. You get to take advantage of the uh, range of outcomes. You still get to take advantage of the sim you've just shifted them here by the difference at the mean. So uh, Patrick says, but can we agree? We can agree that ownership projections have an impact after lock. For example, Austin Rivers, if we change his projections and bump his ownership up, would we get more exposure for late swap? I mean, it depends, right? Like it, it, you can actually watch why projecting ownership post lock is difficult. You can watch that play out in real time. If you pick like virtually any large slate. Right. Like uh, a couple days ago, let me see if I can find the slate that I'm referring to here. I think it was the Monday slate, maybe. Like people react to news differently. Um, so this was the, yeah. So this was the uh, Okongwu slate. So we get, we get the Hawks news a couple minutes after lock, right? And Okongwu ended up being like 35% owned in most contests here after he ended up being like an elite value, right? The field overwhelmingly reacted to a Kongwu yesterday. Um, there were plays on this same slate that broke later in this slate that the field did not really react to at all. Um, actually, uh, maybe there were, I'm trying to think. There are, I guess as a generalized rule of thumb, people react less to news that comes out later in the slate. Um, and I think they react more to higher impact players getting ruled out which which like makes intuitive sense than a lower player getting ruled out even if this even if the value that opens up is equivalent right like it is just higher it is like uh more uh visible news when trey young gets ruled out than you know some other random guy getting ruled out even if the value play that opens up is is roughly equivalent so Austin Rivers last night, I know because I, I ended up like swapping into quite a bit of Austin Rivers, especially in the night slate, was virtually unowned and was a pretty good play um, after he was announced starting here. Let me see. How did he project 
yesterday. And that's another situation where there's so much um, – eh, actually, he projected okay. I think on the night slate I got some more of him um, because of his uh, – because he was starting and it was a, just a three-game slate. But basically the, it's – the main point is that because you don't know what lineups people have, right? You can even ignore, you can even assume that everybody swaps perfectly to all news without knowing what lineups they have. It's still very hard to project ownership post lock because you don't know what spots are taken up across most lineups. You could probably like figure it out. If you assumed that your pre-lock ownership was hundred percent correct, you could like, for example, say post lock, uh, you know, Let's say let's find one that's like a little higher on post lock. Nine point eight percent of the total lineups have a have Jordan Poole occupying a point guard, shooting guard, or guard or utility spot. But then multi positional eligibility becomes a thing. Like it, it's hard. It's not like the easiest thing to solve. And then anytime if you were wrong, right? If if Jordan Poole was actually eighteen percent owned, and you just assumed that you were correct with the initial projection, that's going to create a ripple effect through the rest of the slate that could potentially get worse and worse as you try to project post-lock ownership throughout the site. So um, it's tough, but it's, yeah, I mean, we can we can certainly agree that ownership projections have an impact after lock. I mean, I would say in general, if value has opened up after lock that didn't exist pre-lock, it will probably come in, it will probably come in under-owned relative to where it should be owned. Even in situations where the field is generally doing a pretty good job of adjusting to like, a Kongwu like we had on Monday, that player is probably still under on relative to their expectation. Terrence Davis is a good example, even from just last night. I mean, and this was a pretty early game, right? He became the second highest value play based on Saberson projections uh, post-lock. I think he was only like 15 to 20% owned in my contest. He should probably have been much higher owned. Like almost certainly he should have been higher on play. Um, at the very least, you had Daniel Gafford at a very similar salary and projection who was projected for 30% ownership and was higher than that, right? I mean, I think that should at least be the baseline of where his ownership should have been. Um, he was a better value uh, at a, he was a much better value at the exact same position as Bogdanovich playing in a game that locked 30 minutes prior. And I, I actually, that's probably a big reason why Terrence Davis did not come in lock, higher on, but then Bogdanovich is because he was soaking up so much of that, those lineup spots, right? Which is, perfect example of what I'm referring to here, right? That's another thing that matters is like what other popular players have locked at the same positions already. And if Bogdanovich is in 50% of lineups at the shooting guard spot or shooting guard, small forward, like the exact same positions Terrence Davis is in, it's, it makes it harder to swap to. So um, anyway, Patrick says for a smaller NBA slate, uh, do we like to reduce the production filter? It's currently a 10 larger slate at 15 uh, looking for that bench player that will pop off. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Mine is actually often at zero. Uh, since we pushed our SIM diversity change, which basically uh, changed the logic of the way that the SIMs were selected here to do a better job of selecting, like, just, I guess, better buckets of SIMs, I have noticed that you are much less likely to get random, completely super... Uh, low projected guys in your lineups, unless it's an ownership fade, right? Unless it's an ownership play. So if you're playing a really small slate, super big contest, sport like NFL or MLB and your ownership fade is cranked way up, you might see those guys get in there because they're their ownership, their leverage plays. But default settings, average slate, I've been putting it at zero. 
I think it's cleaner. Like it's a, it simplifies things for me. I don't have to worry about you know weird situations where I can't late swap or anything like that because of a, a projection filter. Um, and I I I've I've been leaving it at zero for for most sports I've been playing just because I feel like the the players that get selected into my lineups are the guys that I want to be playing. So. Uh, all right, let's hop over to Discord real quick here. Um, knock out a couple of these here. So Rogue said, um, so yeah, on these super small slates is the NBA ideal strategy to have the right combo of mid chalk all around or have that one diamond in the rough plus heavy chalk. Yeah, I was we were actually kind of talking about this a little bit on the run pure stream from the standpoint of the Saturday NFL slate, which is kind of a similar deal. Three games, right? How do you get different? I think it's in general my preferred strategy rather than thinking, you know, I'm going to eat all the chalk except I'm going to play this one guy at 1% owned and hope it works. I prefer to kind of try to, to shake the build up at a more macro level and play like a different construction or play a lineup that's just like lower owned combined. Because if you kind of think about like what has to happen for those different lineups to be successful, right? You, if, let's say you're playing a lineup that in six of eight of the lineup spots is very similar to the chalk build, but you're differentiating heavily on those other two spots. You, your, your range of outcomes of success is very narrow where you're like, you're basically rooting for the same six players with a big chunk of the field. But then you, you need in a 2v2 where you're probably a very heavy underdog to be right. You need to, uh, you need to be right, right? You're like basically asking a player that has maybe a projection of like 10 to outscore a player that has a projection of 20 so that your lineup can be the best of a large pool of lineups that share most of the similar players that yours does. The other lineup, right? You are, you're flipping the script of the build completely. So in, in the situation where those like that big chalk core kind of fails, you're, you have a wide range of the, the, the players that are left available to you that can get there, right? And you're going to be constructed differently from the way that your salary is allocated across positions and how your lineup is correlated to one another. You have more, more routes to, to win there. So I would, when, when you're trying to get different here, let's get back to the, like today's slate. So let's see if we can kind of like, let's see if we can kind of like intuit the, uh, the cash, the like popular construction here tonight. So let's run 500 cash lineups and just kind of get a sense typically like to do this to see like, what's the field going to do? What do the cash builds look like? What's the common construction? Where does salary get allocated? Right. Um, and see if we could kind of like build a, a, a lineup that kind of flips the script of, of how I think most people are going to play this slate. So we'll use the cash build in conjunction with the ownership projections to get a sense of, of what we're doing here. So uh, while this is building here, um, actually, I don't want to jump into some of these other questions just yet. Well, let, let's wrap this question up first and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back into some of these other questions that are coming in. All right. So what do we have here? Okay. So, okay. So let's look. So these are the cash builds, right? Top 500 cash optimal. So, um, let's see how we're allocating salary. So first of all, I mean, it looks like most of our most commonly appearing plays here are kind of mid-range value, right? Trey Murphy, Kevin Porter, right? A lot of guys between like five and 600 here. Um, if we just sort by, let's look at like the highest projected. So you can see 
there's not a lot of apparent value to get to really expensive payup options, right? So like Giannis, John Morant, Zion, not showing up a ton in the cash builds, right? I don't think they're going to be incredibly popular plays here. Um, let's look at our exposure again here. Looks like guard is probably the easiest place to get to some value guard and like the, the small forward kind of positions here. Um, and you can kind of see that's basically the, the, the kind of the ownership context of the slate. Um, so a way that we could then kind of theoretically flip the build and get different. And I think this is, this is something I would kind of think about doing more from like a single entry standpoint, rather than this being really viable to do for like 150. But if you're just playing a couple lineups, right. Or, or, or a few lineups, let's say you're, you're playing some smaller field stuff. Uh, let's now kind of take this with us into a GPP build. We have a sense of, of what the popular script is going to be. So now the question is like, does it make sense to play Trey Murphy, Jalen Green, Chris Middleton, blah, 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 all these guys, and then flip like one, 1% on player? Or can we just basically play a different construction here right off the bat that like naturally gets us different? And this one actually kind of automatically does, right? We play Giannis, but... Maybe we want to play, um, do we have any John Morant in the pool? I think that's an interesting angle here. We have a little bit of John Morant. Um, what if we actually just say we want to play John Morant, right? We're going to occupy a guard position here uh, with a player who is going to, uh, one, be un, un, an uncommon use of that salary, right? I think balance builds are going to be popular tonight and in a position that I think is going to be unpopular, right? You see, I mean, we get this lineup here uh, where we're playing um, you know, it's it's forcing us to lower salary allocation here uh, for some of these players, and it's going to bring us to a less common construction overall. And maybe you don't like that build because it has four Pelicans or whatever. Uh, maybe we, you know, you X that one out and you take a look at what the next uh, John Morant build looks like instead. Um, but I think overall, like answering the question, I would prefer an approach that fips, flips the build at a more macro level than playing super chalk and pivoting really hard on one low on guy. And for what it is worth, I actually think the ownership fade slider somewhat disagrees with me there. And I actually, I think that's one thing I wish the ownership fade slider did handle a little bit better, which is why sometimes I like to take ownership into my own hands. If you crank ownership up really high, right, let's just try this real quick here. Um, you will see that, that it, it kind of favors the, the alternate approach instead where you're like, you're often playing well-projected plays, but you're kind of jamming in a very low-owned 1% type play, basically, right? Like relatively chalky build and then like very low-owned guys in there to differentiate. I, I don't like tackling ownership in this way as much. Uh, I prefer to kind of lower the overall lineup ownership without lower, without like tanking an individual player ownership. So that's just my, my, my stance, but. Um, Billy said, uh, this is, this is a good question. Um, said, do you ever look at an NBA slate and just say, nah, not tonight. And why? Um, so I, I think in general, like adjusting your investment into a slate based on your perceived edge is a good idea, right? If you look at a slate and you're like, I, I don't think there's an, you know, I don't like the, I don't like the salaries. Or I don't like like the, 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 uh, dynamics of the slate, or I don't like where it seems like ownership's pretty efficient, right? Like, just in general, thinking about that and adjusting how much you're willing to commit to a slate, I think makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, for me personally, I probably could do a little bit better with that. I typically just end up playing like every slate and playing every slate the same uh, allocation, basically, um, which I don't think is great. I, I would definitely, if if you if you've got even just bad vibes looking at a slate, I think that's probably worth listening to uh, and and maybe scaling back or skipping. Um, so I, I I think that's I think that's sharp. I probably could do with uh, a little bit more of that. I mean. It's not the prettiest looking slate here tonight so far, right? Value looks pretty dry. Four game slate. Um, I was gonna look and see if we're expecting. So I mean, there's there's opportunities for value to open up here. Um, so we could get some Phoenix value. Uh, we could get Miami value. So there's there are ways for this slate, I think, to uh, clean up a little bit here and and to get some some value plays here. So we'll see. Um, all right. Um, let's, this is a tough one. Let's, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and take this one. Um, so it gets some good questions in here today. So Nash said yesterday we were talking about different skill sets. Uh, there are in NBA DFS and you mentioned like human psychology, ownership way versus projections. Where can I learn that ownership tactics to become better at building my skill and not relying so much on other people's opinions? Um, yeah, that's, that's tough. So honestly, like one of the, the main reasons I started going down that path is, is with the research builds, right? Like I, I'm not the first person to have thought about comparing essentially optimal rates to ownership projections and trying to learn something from that. But I did kind of stumble upon that somewhat organically in my process using SaberSim years ago. And I think it can be a tool to build up, to basically like, you know, work on that muscle in your brain, essentially, of like thinking about ownership and the game theory at a more analytical level. Um that's probably what I would recommend doing as a starting point is what I would do is um, run a research build, right? Run your 0010 build and look at the, uh, look at basically the, the how often certain players are showing up in the optimal versus how often they are showing up uh, in ownership, right? And take some notes, basically say, you know, I, these are players that I think are potentially going to be, I actually want to be kind of specific with the language I use here. These are players that I think are where lineups that include these players are potentially less likely to be profitable. And these are lineups that have players that are potentially likely to be more optimal, right? I think that's, a, I think it's actually a more appropriate way of thinking about this, right? Uh, and use that as a starting point to research then run your build and see how the default settings on SaberSim help you navigate different players in your, your portfolio, right? Maybe make some adjustments from there. But then also post-lock or after this completion of the slate, go use something like ResultsDB on Roto Grinders or some other tool to, to basically see past contests. And go look at a few players that you like, you know, you respect or that you kind of follow. Giant Squid's a good one if you have no idea where to start, and see how they navigated those players. Uh, in their particular portfolio of lineups. And even one step further, you know, if they took a different stance on a particular player than you did, 
go look at what lineups containing those players look like for them, right? If they went, uh, you know, if you thought that the best fate of the slate was, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to find maybe Trey Murphy or something like that. And you find that uh, some other sharp player was overwhelmingly exposed to Trey Murphy. Well, what do lineups that include Trey Murphy look like in their portfolio as it relates to the ownership? Right. And I think there's not, I, I wish that I could answer this question and say, you know, follow the, the five-step process to uh, internalizing DFS game theory, but it doesn't really work like that. Like I think ultimately, uh, putting yourself in a situation where you are thinking about this and you have kind of some kind of repeatable process to study the slate, which is, I think a good example is running the research build, making decisions for yourself with that information, which is building your lineup portfolio. Right. And then finally reviewing, uh, and you'll start to, to, to kind of build that, that, that skill over time. Right. Like this isn't even, I feel like this question isn't even so much like how do I do this thing in DFS? It's almost like, how do I learn a new skill? Right. Um, and I think the idea there would be, you know, give yourself, you know, some kind of repeatable, logical way of learning how to do the thing, do it consistently, and then track your your results against other people that do that thing well or that you want to, you know, emulate and see how they're doing it. Um, is how I'd look at it. And and you'll you'll pick things up as you go along, right? You'll you'll start to notice trends of like how how well do, how well does, um, or how does salary play into this, right? Is like one thing that I've basically discovered over time. Actually, let me let's say this. One thing that I've discovered over time is that basically the leverage cannot be taken in a vacuum here, right? You can't, these two players, Bobby Portis and Nicholas Batum here are not equivalent plays based on it from an ownership standpoint. Right? There's a difference between having an optimal rate of 11.4 and 7.1 and having the exact same leverage, negative leverage score. Right? You'll also pick things up with, with, with salary as well. Right? Um, there are, I am far more likely to be interested in a p- positive leverage higher salary player than a positive leverage lower salary player um, based on kind of my experience doing this in my process. So um tough question there for sure uh okay let's jump back over to uh to to youtube here so patrick on the uh min projected filters it's not it's not more profitable i would not say you are more your lineups are not higher expected value by setting your projected filter at zero across the board for all sports that's that's not really kind of the the point of it Basically, I mean, the reason the projection filter is there in the first place is mostly to basically provide a backstop for something going like wrong. Like maybe it, it kind of provides a natural lever against a really high ownership fade slider or something like that, for example. Um, but the like the natural setting, I guess, for where this slider would or where this setting would be set would be zero, right? You would theoretically, if you were playing like perfectly optimized, you would you would be willing to use any player and you would use them at the rates at which that those players were like, you would essentially use any player with any non-zero projection in your pool at the rate at which lineups that contained that player won the contest you were playing, right? This setting, this by definition is a heuristic and it's there to provide a guardrail against, you know, 
having a low on player in there. But anyway, I'm getting in the weeds here. The point is, this is not like, this isn't a skeleton skeleton key by any means, and it's not going to make your lineups probably more plus EV. Uh, I just don't think the guardrail really needs to be there anymore. So to prevent situations where the guardrail suddenly sometimes some somehow becomes uh, restrictive, like with late swap or something like that, I don't want to. I don't want it. So that's just my take. Uh, what's my strategy for players with multi-positional eligibility pre-lock to account for value opening up post-lock? I don't do too much with that, to be honest. Um, you probably like could, like, let's say, so, okay. I mean, first of all, I, I think Saber Sim on its own kind of handles a lot of this for you, um, where players... Players in your lineups playing in later games will be used in the most flexible positions possible. So we'll favor players playing in the late game in the utility spots or in the center guard and forward spots more than the like locked in positions here. So that if news changes, they are you basically are optimized to swap as effectively as possible. I think you could probably go a step further and do something like, you know, if you're uh like if okay so here's a good example so Aiton's questionable is he actually questionable okay so he's actually questionable and and Booker's questionable so um you have a guard and a center playing in the last game so theoretically value that will open up is most likely to open up at guard and center so if you are playing players playing in the early games like you probably would be more inclined at the very least to play Giannis, for example, at the power forward spot than the center spot, because you potentially know that you have this center value that might open up later. I think there's something to that. I think in, in 150 lineups, it gets really hard to do that. I think it's something you could hand build one to five lineups by paying attention to that a little bit. Um, but I am not sure that it is reasonable to do something there that actually adds value for like a lot for like, a large set of lineups very well. Um, maybe something there, but I don't do anything with that really. Uh, Matt said in discord, you mentioned almost turning correlation off for NHL. Would you do the same for a big slate like tonight or throw a loose stack roll in? Let's go see what it does. Yeah. So there was an interesting discussion in NHL. Um, somebody, I think sheets had mentioned that like the stacks seemed unconventional here. Um, I, so I, I've been running builds uh, most of the season here uh, at for NHL with something like a little bit more like this. Um, and let's just see kind of what this looks like. So basically, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I think that the correlation sometimes double counts a little bit, right? And you can kind of see it, you know, the, the double counting effect to me is not in the players that are on the same power play line or the same even strength line. It's like we, we seem to have correlations to I think personally correlations that are too high to players that are on other lines and I think that's why with the correlation slider on relatively high sometimes it's in my opinion the the lineups that I'm getting that I'm concerned about are not lineups that are understacked it's lineups that are overstacked it's like the six players from the same team five players from the same team kind of builds um so if we just run this um I found that turning correlation off and letting sims run kind of let the sims determine what constructions make sense has been somewhat successful to me in, in nhl this season uh it's not perfect which is why sometimes i do like to throw in that stacking rule but we can get a sense here of what these constructions look like and then adjust accordingly um 
but what I found most of the time is that, you know, the Sims tend to just kind of really like stacking power play one for most teams, which is also kind of like what I often want to do. You'll get a couple one-offs thrown in there occasionally. Uh, but this is a four, two, right. Where we're basically stacking Vegas power play one. Uh, what else do we have in here? We have, uh, it looks like, okay. So it looks like we also have um, Pittsburgh, like kind of line one, we get a cheap one-off in comfort. Um, you know, upside one-off in, in, in DeBrusque here, right? Like I'm not, I'm not like trying to think about the right way to put this. I'm not like a big, my lineups in hockey must look a certain way, right? Like I have to have this number of players from this line and this number of players from this line. And my defense is defensemen have to be this. And my utility spots have to be this. I kind of basically just want to make sure that the lineups make some general sense, right? I maybe don't feel as good about playing a lineup that's just like a single two stack here of the Devils and everybody else is basically all one-offs, right? But I'll go through and kind of get a sense of what my what my builds are actually looking like here. Uh, going one step further, I've actually kind of liked to do this recently, is I will compare the top 150 here um, of my, my lineups basically in 99th percentile against the pool and look for discrepancies here and look for kind of reasons to basically... so. I'm getting 26% of my lineups in my pool have a 2-2 stack and 20% of my lineups have just a naked 2 stack in my pool at 00 at 009 I'm sorry but they're not showing up very highly in the high 99th percentile for my lineups right which indicates to me that like they're not high scoring there are constructions that are showing up occasionally in the same but they're not high scoring constructions so this might be an opportunity then where I go in and start adding some stacking rules to basically kind of help the builder along. And let me see, I wanted to look as well. Uh, yeah, so let's see like what I want to eliminate. Do I need, so like even just like a three stack, right? With nothing really coming back kind of seems somewhat efficient. Like that seems somewhat viable to me. So I might just do something as simple as basically saying that I want to make sure that I have at least three skaters um let's just trash these so i can start over here on the same line and let's do uh one two three and only that um and that's kind of what i mean of like my baseline line uh my baseline stack that's kind of helping me get where i want to go but from there i might be uh you know good enough that might that might get me where i want and that's what i mean about like I just feel like the Sims, like this is another Sim diversity thing. I just feel like the Sims themselves are just doing a really good job of selecting, getting very close to the lineup constructions I want without any additional, uh, without any additional um, correlation needed. So, but some of that comes from the fact that too, that like I'm probably okay playing a lineup like this. Uh, you know? Like maybe it depends. And I, I may, this might be something that I like look at a little bit further. Let's see here. Let's actually go ahead and here and now do this one more time here. Okay. So I would probably force a little bit more correlation in here, looking a little bit closer, right? I probably really want, basically what I'm seeing is that yes, lineups with a three stack with no other correlation in it are showing up in my top 1500, but they're underrepresented in my top 150 which makes me makes which indicates to me that that lineup has a lower upside overall. So I actually may end up going back in 
and doing something like at least a 3-2 or maybe at least a 3-2 or at least a 3-3. So I might do something like this, actually. And this might end up being actually how I tackled this slate. This is a 12-game slate. This is a huge slate, so it's a little bit of a different story. But that's that's kind of how I've been, been playing. Uh, Rogue said, and I do, I will have a hard stop here in five minutes. Um, so let's, I'll get through the, the rest of the questions here quickly. Um, I've noticed selecting what stacks you want pre-build and limiting your player pool to players who are only on a power play really makes the stacks look a lot better. Yeah, I've done a little bit of player pool curation this year as well, where I've basically, and this is something where you need to be careful on based on the size of the slate, but I've been pretty aggressive with removing uh, four line four uh, skaters that also aren't on power play one um, and line three skaters that aren't on any power play. Um, I, that be careful. I would say that's, that's a spot to proceed with caution because I think you really need to pay attention to the slate dynamics in that case and the size of the slate before you go, go forth there. Um, but rogue says he's been most profitable on, uh, with this method on FanDuel. I, um, yeah, I've actually heard, uh, from a lot of our, 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 uh, subscribers that NHL has been very good to people this year. Um, I think NHL was very, very benefited by the sim diversity change. Um, I don't think, it, uh, not to say that other sports were not, but I think the impact of changing the way that sims were bucketed really, really dramatically helped the NHL lineup builder kind of quietly under the scenes, uh, under the scenes, uh, kind of mixed metaphor there. Um, I think it, I think it really made the NHL builder a, a lot better for that kind of stuff. So it doesn't, doesn't surprise me that we've been hearing that a little bit, but, um, I, I haven't been playing as much NHL recently. Um, I've been grinding NBA really hard. I do have some tickets saved up, um, for, uh, for a variety of contests post post Christmas here. So I'm excited to, to get a chance to play those, but okay. Um, There, okay, so real quick, I'm going to hit some of these final questions here uh, really quickly. Um, so, real okay, very quickly, Nash said, uh, how does running 0010 convert to ownership? 0010 build is essentially simulating the slate. It's basically taking a single game of each, a single sim of each game and building the optimal lineup for that slate simulation. You are, you are essentially, you're calculating how likely a player is to show up in the best possible lineup you could build for a slate. So you can compare that to how often are they going to be owned and get a sense of on an individual player level, are these players good players or bad players? Are they showing up in the best lineup I could have made more often or less often than how often they're going to show up in lineups in the contest? That's the spirit of um, E And then from there, would you recommend dimming my player pool before running 0010 or after? Only Definitely after. You would want to run the 0010 as unrestricted as possible to get like kind of the widest angle of, of, of research, of studying the slate, then only after you've done that research, then narrow your player pool by your particular stands or plays or cores or whatever. Um, agency says, why did Sims not run to account for Lindholm and Wegar? Uh, they were active and played. We are unfortunately having a bit of a problem with our NHL data providers right now. Um, that is causing some problems, especially with very late breaking news. It is something we're working on, um, something we're trying to figure out on our end. It is not an easy fix, unfortunately. So I would, uh, I know we just talked about NHL for a little bit. I would a little bit proceed with caution with late breaking news. And I would do some, I would do some due diligence. We have the left wing lock 
set up the lineup alert set up in the NHL lineup alert channel in discord. I would keep an eye on that. When news breaks, I would look at it and see what it is. See if the players that are listed are projected, double check the lines, right? You can change all this for yourself in Sabersim. Basically, I would, I would highly recommend a little bit of due diligence research uh, if you're playing NHL right now while we tighten up the, the NHL data providers. So um, for now, I am going to have to let, uh, let the stream end here. I do have to stop. Um, I will be right back again tomorrow covering for Andrew one more time um, while he is uh, still recovering. If you guys... Uh, you guys have a little time. If you watch Office Hours regularly, you're a fan of Andrew hosting the show. Um, you know, give him, a, drop him a ping in the Office Hours channel. Uh, let him, let him know uh, you're hoping he feels better, and, and give him uh, some well wishes. I think he'd he'd appreciate that. Uh, he's he's sick this week, so um, say what's up to Andrew in the Office Hours channel. But anyway, I'll be back uh, tomorrow one more time here this week. Thanks everybody for for tuning in, and good luck tonight. See ya.